Good morning. Good to see everyone here. and We've got a crowd on this almost front row up here. Some shady characters, if y'all did. This is, uh, I was thinking, uh, thinking of the passage where uh, children are arrows in a warrior's quiver. So I, my quiver is full down here. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for the prayer, John. Thank you for leading singing. Kim, you've done a good job. Our lesson this morning deals with the Lord's Supper. You know, we, I've been tempting to do a series and explain why we do some of the things that we do. And the focal point of our worship, or shall I say, the focal point should be in our worship, the Lord's Supper. Acts 20 and 7 makes that plain when it says that the early church was gathered together on the first day of the week to break bread. And of course we find out that after that then Paul spoke. It wasn't that they gathered together on the first day of the week to hear Paul. They gathered together for the Lord's Supper to break bread to remember our Savior. You know, there are two things probably that if you are talking about the church of Christ with, with people, there's two things that stand out that distinguish them from most other places. One of them is the a cappella singing. And of course, in some places, even that, it changes. But one thing that is us is that we take communion, we have the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. And the purpose is that, we we base that basically when we say, you know, when should we do that? Well, that's, we use that passage, Acts 20 and 7, because they did. And it doesn't say that it says they met on the first day of the week. If I told you we was going to meet on the first day of the week to do something, you'd say when? Well, if I just left it, we meet on the first day of the week, you'd think, well, I guess we're meeting every first day of the week. Bingo. You are correct. <clears throat> so with that in mind, we do that. But there's so much about the first day of the week that so many significant things about it if I was asked you what day was the resurrection of Christ, you'd say, well, that occurred on the first day of the week. If I were to ask you, what day did the church begin, or literally what day did Peter deliver that sermon on the day of Pentecost? you said say, that was the first day of the week. So you can see there's some significance to it as we look at that. By the way, if you know Pentecost, 50 days after Passover... You do the math, you count it down. If Passover is on a Saturday, you wind up. That 50th day is the first day of the week. All right? Any way you look at it. So that, that helps us on that. And then we say, well, why do we do it? And that is pretty clear. In, in Luke chapter 22, when Jesus initiated the Lord's Supper, if you look and in, in starting at verse 19, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
And in chapter 11, verse 24, when he breaks the bread, do this in remembrance of me. And then as we get to verse 25, where he partakes of the juice of the fruit of the vine, he also states, Paul tells us, he stated, do this in remembrance of me. Did you know that this is the one thing this is the one thing that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. There is great significance whenever we look at this that we gather together to break bread, that we gather together to participate in this feast in remembrance of our Savior. Because that's what He told us to do. You know, I know there are other activities that people do to remember, to honor our Lord and Savior. But the importance of this is that He said, do this in memory of Me, in remembrance of Me. So we know when we partake of it, we know why. But then we get into the components. Do you ever wonder, why is it that we use unleavened bread. And unleavened bread, you, you know, if you don't know what that is, that's bread that has no leavening in it, no yeast to make it rise. You know, if you go to the store and you buy what we call a loaf of light bread, you know, it's nice, light, and fluffy. But unleavened bread is that flat, tasteless, it's, it's literally just flour, and water mixed together and cooked. It just it's it's dough with no no yeast to make it rise. I was thinking when I was doing this, I thought, you know, I'd bet some people think it'd really be better if we exchanged the unleavened bread for chocolate brownies. Not so, not so. But the significance of it is that if we look, and the simple answer is this, it's the bread that Jesus used whenever He initiated the Lord's Supper. And the reason we know that it was unleavened, in Luke chapter 22, around verse 7, He is talking about that Jesus was going to eat the Passover feast. The Feast of the Unleavened with His disciples. And we sometimes reduce that feast and we focus on Passover. They are two distinct celebrations there, festivals there. But they kind of mesh together. And they do honor one thing. They, it is a feast of remembrance. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. The Feast of the Unleavened. What did it celebrate? What did it honor? The Feast of the Unleavened is one to where they look back at their deliverance from Egypt. And if you look at the unleavened, literally, in Exodus chapter 12 and around verse 33, it talks about that they threw the dough in troughs before yeast was added, because they would have to leave in haste. In other words, the plagues were hitting Egypt. 
They were to be ready to leave at a moment's notice because when the Pharaoh said, you get out, you leave, you better be ready to go. And they left in such a hurry, such a haste, that they didn't even take time to put leaven in the bread. They took the dough, packaged it, bagged it up, and left. Whenever they got that opportunity, they left in haste. So the bread was unleavened. And unleavened bread was used to commemorate this deliverance. By the way, the Feast of the Unleavened incorporated more than just bread and grape juice. Here when he is gathered with his disciples, if they did this the traditional way that they were supposed to do it, there was at least six other foods in that, in that meal that they took of. And each, significant, each, each one of those items had a significance to them that represented something. The bitter herbs would represent the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. They would dip the greens, the greens which may represent the springtime, the promise of, of a new beginning. They would dip it in salt water and the salt water representing the tears that they shed while they in slavery and other things of that. And there was a specific pattern to them doing this. And the unleavened bread was to commemorate the deliverance, the freedom of escaping Egypt. This was an important meal. And if they did it with their families, and Jesus, and I'm sure they did this, then there would have been a story. And each one of those items, a story told about what that, and if there were children involved, there would be a question do you know what this represents? And they would tell them the significance and what eating this meant. Every child who was a Jew understood what these meant and what it meant and how important it was. Their freedom from Egypt when Moses let them out. these same men would have been participating in this meal. And it would have been <clears throat> this bread <clears throat> that he would have taught. So we're using it because it is in haste that the Hebrews left Egypt. There was an expediency to this. I look at it sometimes and we'll touch on it here in just a minute. <clears throat> also, if we look at yeast, there is, there is times that yeast is, is looked at and used. It, it represents sin. In Galatians 5 and verse 9, it says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of sin can do that. And by the way, during this time, these people removed Leaven, they removed yeast out of their homes. They did not want to take a chance on that. And it's during this time that Jesus broke this bread and says, Take, eat. This is my body. You know, when we think of that, and we think about the Egyptian, or the, the Hebrews leaving, and, and in haste they left, 
there becomes a, a mindset on this, a, a thinking on this. As we hear and we break the bread, is there an expediency to us getting out the message of the gospel to those who don't have it? The message of deliverance, the message of redemption, the message of freedom. The other component that we have, and this, is, this, and this one is interesting. The juice, the fruit of the vine, and we sometimes think of that. Did you realize that during the, the time of Seder, that's, that's what this is called in Hebrew, is Seder, this, this time of unleavened feast, there were four cups of wine set. Now understand, and this is one of those places where wine may have been used, it may have been watered down with grape juice, it could have been grape juice. Because the terminology in the scriptures that is used, the Greek that is used, is the general term for fruit of the vine. So it covers all of it. So it could have been grape juice, could have been watered down with it, or it could have been wine. But there were four cups. And the four cups each represented something significant. For example, the first cup that they would have partake of during this meal would have been the cup of sanctification. The second cup would have been considered the cup of the plagues. The third cup would have been uh, considered the cup of redemption, the cup of blessing. And then the fourth cup would have been a cup of praise. Sometimes that fourth cup may have been used as the cup of Elijah. But it was the cup of praise. And you think of these cups. I mean, as I was studying on this and, and looking on this, when Jesus took the cup, now notice what it was. When he took the cup after supper, traditionally that third cup was taken after the meal. And when Jesus took the cup after supper, he took the cup of redemption, the cup of blessing. And his words are, this is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Jesus' blood was the blessing. Jesus' blood was the redemption for us as they partook of this. And this falls in, into, into line with this in Luke 22 and 20. And Paul even acknowledges that this fills the bill with what they would have been doing. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and and verse 16, it says, This cup of blessing which we bless, cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? So you picture this, and knowing this, seminar, this, this situation, and knowing that Jesus is there, He's participating in this setter meal with His disciples. They are telling the stories of this. The unleavened bread is there, is broken. Jesus takes it, said, This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. 
After supper, he takes the cup of blessing and blesses. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He was following suit with those things. If you look at what he said, it can be referenced back to Jeremiah 31, where Jesus talks about the new covenant that is coming. This reference may have been about what he was about to do. If these men were as studied in the Old Testament, as I'm sure they were, they understood the symbols, the symbolism, the symbolic message that was being sent to them. I told Debbie as I was driving down, I said, if, if these men had any doubt of who Jesus Christ was when they were sitting eating this supper with Him, once He said these things, once He initiated this Lord's Supper, there would not have been a doubt who this man was. And it follows suit. After they did this, what else did Jesus do? If you go to the book of Mark, I think it's chapter 14, and you look at that, it says they sang a hymn before they went out to the Mount of Olives. The fourth cup was the cup of halal. The fourth cup was the cup of praise. It followed suit. The cup of blessing, the cup of praise. And then Jesus started what would be his last day on earth. Our mindset, when we look at the Lord's Supper, and we know the settings for which it was initiated, Whenever we have passed the bread, whenever we pass the juice, the fruit of the vine, what do you think about whenever you you partake in this feast, this, this feast of remembrance? I, I, sometimes I'm afraid to ask. Sometimes, you know, if we're not careful, our mind just goes everywhere with this. But there's a focus. There is a story here. And, and Paul, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but, but Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 hammers on this about what our attitude should be, what our mindset should be. That our mind should be focused on Jesus Christ. On that sacrifice. In remembrance of Him. I go back to His words whenever I partake of it, and I think, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And I sit and I think about the beatings, the mockery that He faced, being spit in the face. Worldwide, folks, there's not a more insulting... If you want to insult someone worldwide, anywhere you go, 
you spit in their face. And I think of those things and what our Lord and Savior did. But also I could think about those, those Israelites, those Hebrews who were in Egypt, who in haste had to leave to be ready to do. And that story that they tell at the Feast of the Unleavened, that they share with each other, how they left in haste. And as we partake of that Feast of the Unleavened, do we understand that we, like them, must carry that message, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ out, that there is an immediate need right now to go, to tell somebody to leave this, because we're not going to have time to put leaven in the bread. It's immediate. All of us sometimes like to, to, to put off things when it's more convenient. I'll tell them. But the idea is whenever we leave this building, any opportunity that we may have, let's tell about Jesus Christ. There's an expediency to our message it's got, we've got to go. And the juice. We remember the promise of this covenant in His blood. We acknowledge the power that is in the blood of Jesus Christ. The promises that are made. For me, when I think of the sacrifices, I, 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 I cringe at what he faced. But then with the juice. The remembrance of the promise that he made and what is waiting for me and what he has done. There are some parallels between it and the Feast of the Unleavened. The Lord's Supper is a story of deliverance, a story of freedom. Just as the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was a story of freedom, let us tell this story of freedom and deliverance about Jesus Christ to the world outside of us. And don't underestimate the power of this feast. because of its simplicity. It may be simple, but that's the beauty of it. Jesus did it for the convenience of us, I think. But He also don't want us to forget the story behind it and what it means to us. For as we look at this, it is a chance for us to look forward, look backward. We look back at the sacrifice that our Lord and Savior made. We look forward to the promises that come us. That's part of this. We look inside and we look outside. We look inside ourselves to, to be sure that, that we are partaking of it in a way that our Lord and Savior would have us in remembrance of Him. And then we look outside at our world. 
to let them know that the message of Jesus Christ is to be taken outside of here. The Lord's Supper in our worship is the most significant thing that we do. And I think about what I need to do to make it more meaningful. There's nothing I can do to make it more meaningful except this. To give more time, more thought, and not stand up here and talk anymore. To give time for us to focus on this. To remember the message of this that our Savior gave us. Perhaps there are those in the audience who have not had the opportunity to obey the gospel. If there is a need for you to be baptized, to become a member of Christ's body, so that you can participate in this feast, everything is ready. You confess Jesus Christ before others, you repent of your sins, buried with Him in baptism, rise, raised to walk in a newness of life a changed person, a changed creature. Or maybe you have slipped away, slidden away to to a place you don't need to be and you need to return home. We will pray for you so that you may be restored. Whatever your needs may be, we invite you to come forward while we stand and while we sing.